0: Hey guys, thanks so much for checking out the podcast. You guys have done a phenomenal job of supporting through season one and into season two and I can't thank you enough. These first set of episodes are a little rough around the edges because I was still figuring out what the podcast was going to become. So if you haven't taken a listen to any of season two yet, I urge you to do that. But other than that, just strap in and enjoy the ride. We have had so much fun making this for you guys. Thank you so much. Hi, and welcome to the Nashville for Nobody's podcast. I am your host, Bobby Gordon, also known as Story of Bob. On today's episode, I sit down with Noah Tellish, and we talk about his story on how he got to Nashville and what he's been doing since he's been in Nashville. This was a neat podcast because we did it in his home studio, so it was a little bit different. Um... He's got a fantastic studio that he has put together and is doing some great work, so he's going to talk a little bit about that and let you know where you can hear some more of his stuff. So without further ado, I'm going to jump right in and we'll start talking with Noah.
1: Three, two, one, let the podcast begin.
0: So Noah, go ahead and give me your splash page rundown of who you are, where you came from, and how you got to Nashville. Uh, so my name's Noah Tellish. I'm um, from
1: uh Hookstown, Pennsylvania originally. It's nobody's ever heard of it. It's way outside of Pittsburgh. It's like right there, right there where uh uh West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Ohio all meet. Oh that's cool. And uh yeah. And so I uh see, I was I was twenty-one. I says to myself, I'm gonna go move to Nashville, see what happens. So I uh basically just saved up five grand, drove down here in a ninety seven Ford Ranger, lived in a Red Roof Inn for two months, and uh Uh, Got a job playing on Broadway uh, the first week I was down here. So that was a total godsend. I think I was unemployed for nine days in between quitting my job uh, back home and uh, starting to play down here. That's pretty lucky. Yeah. So, yeah. um, uh, Yeah. So I've been doing that for the last seven and a half years. It's kept me busy. I haven't had to get a real job yet. It's great.
0: Nice. So you were living in a little motel for how long?
1: Two months, and then I got an apartment
0: downtown. Nice. Okay. So I was talking in one of the other podcasts that either somebody comes to town, and they've already got connections, so they just walk into a big gig, and everything's good, or they come with like a duffel bag and live out of their car for a couple months. And so you were the living out of your car, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Um, how'd you get your first gig? I was talking
1: to some random... I think he was like homeless at the time. I was talking to some random kid on the street and, uh, he says, Oh, Tootsie's does open mic auditions every, uh, every Saturday. So I went to that, um, uh, sang three songs and, uh, sound guy took my name and number and the boss called me back the next day. So, uh, called me on a Sunday. I went down and sang for 20 minutes, uh, main stage of Tootsie's there. And then, uh, he put me to work, put me on a double my first day playing from 11 to 2 and 2 to 6.
0: <laughs> nice. That sounds like tootsies. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: But I actually realized, no, a stupid story. Uh, uh, I was swapping out my batteries at, at work today, and uh, I, so I threw one of the dead ones in my pocket. It reminded me, my very first day at work, I had a I had a pocket full of change, and I threw a dead 9 volts in my pocket, and suddenly like my leg just started getting warm. <laughs> and apparently <laughs> Wow. You know, apparently when you uh you know, touch those two little contacts, it starts to heat change up. That's, so that's amazing. Life lesson for you.
0: And that was day one. Day one. So so you move to Nashville and you don't learn any like epiphany about music or musicianship or getting a you learn that batteries will heat up metal. <laughs> that's awesome all right so one of the one of the cool things about you and your career and particularly your recordings and the music that you have out is you do almost everything yourself like you don't spend a lot of money on a big studio you do everything in your home studio what led you to do that was that just trying to save money or did you come into Nashville expecting to record at a studio or were you wanting to learn to be an engineer like, oh I'm how did super cheap
1: <laughs> I uh no I I hate spending money with a with a visceral passion and uh so that was that's honestly the biggest motivator but uh more than that like I had done um um I mean I really hadn't done much recording back home I, I came down I did uh, my first EP listen available on Spotify now and uh uh I did that with uh one of the sound guys from work and uh yeah they uh, and then I I had another friend from church mix it and and uh it turned out pretty solid and um you know I didn't know what I was doing as far as like songwriting at the time right and uh so but you know there's still there's still there's still a couple good songs on it and uh but you know yeah i mean it just it just cost money and i was super cheap and i was like you know what i'm going to i'm gonna at least do a, enough home studio work that i can be good enough to do it well when i pay somebody else to produce it oh that makes sense and so that really just started the snowball and then uh, after i bought my house here i i uh i ended up building this studio and uh where we're actually recording this right now and um uh, so I b- I built my home recording studio. I actually caught coronavirus, and we were in North Dakota,
0: right? <laughs> and I know. Then the,
1: yeah. So <clears throat> yeah, Bobby drags me to this gig up in Minot, North Dakota, twenty
0: four hour drive away. All right. Technically, <laughs> I didn't drag you to the gig. I know it was Tyler Deaver. Tyler got corona, <laughs> and you filled in for him.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I was filling in for Tyler, and uh, I ended up I felt sick just about the last day we were there, and we get off stage and uh drive back to nashville in the middle of the night i'm just like laying in the back seat of the truck just shaking with like you know flu symptoms Mm -hmm. but it was it was fun but anyway so i i uh since i had 10 days because that was the recommended uh uh downtime at the time i had uh i had 10 days of nothing to do so i built all these sound panels and hung them up and and uh you know set my roommate to the supply store be like hey i need some insulation and some uh one by fours and okay. uh yeah and then fin- finished building all this and it's uh it's worked out really well I'm, I'm learning a lot and it's 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 such a it's such a just a, a a large amount of knowledge to 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 try to grasp grasp
0: yeah I mean even just doing the podcast and only dealing with vocal mics and not really having to fine tune anything vocally like I'm struggling with some things trying to figure it out so it's definitely a process to to learn and because there's so many different programs and DAWs out there like you have to learn your specific setup and your system and it doesn't necessarily translate to the next one so you could walk into a studio right now and be completely clueless on where any of the tools that you need are, any of the settings. It would be, like, completely foreign.
1: Oh, I do the same thing on Broadway. It's like, they'll they'll be like, hey, here's the mixer, mix yourself. <laughs> and, like, I know, especially with all the digital ones, like, I know what all the knobs do. It's a matter of finding the knobs inside right. the digital console. <laughs> like, right. It's a, kind of a, an endless... Uh, chasm of Menus. Chasm, nice. Yeah. All
0: right, so how long have you been doing the Broadway thing? Has it been f- the whole time you've been here? So the whole you said time, like seven, seven and a half years, yeah. Okay. That's a Moved long time. Moved down here
1: uh, May 19th of 2014.
0: Nice. Have you noticed like the dynamics of Broadway change much since you've been here? Or you've been here a little bit longer than I have. Hmm.
1: Um. um it's kind of interesting because... It's hard to say for one because I mean, you get better at doing Broadway and you know, and better right. at making money. And then so like sometimes you think, Oh man, am I playing better gigs or am I a better, you know, entertainer? Well, hopefully
0: both. Well, hopefully both.
1: <laughs> yeah. But it's uh uh yeah, no, I mean when I was when I first came down here there was you know, there was only sixty percent of the parts there are now. Right. And um and, uh, plus I was, I was stuck playing, you know, one set of clubs Yeah. and, uh, and so that, yeah, that probably helped me back a little bit, but the, uh, you know, Broadway's just, I tell people it's, it's, uh, it's the world's best dead end job. Right. You know, it's fun. Actually, I'm kind of introverted, so it's, it's not the most exciting thing for me. I don't, I don't like, I don't love the attention of it or like, I don't know how to handle the attention of it. Like, yeah. I'm not a person who, like, oh, look at me. I'm the star of the show. You know, I I it, uh, it's very fatiguing for me, but I still get to do what I love. So
0: See, with me, like, being on stage, it's kind of like a safe zone. Mm-hmm. So I can be outgoing on stage. And some of that transfers, like, once we get off stage, if somebody wants to talk. Like, it's not as big of a deal as if i was just hanging out somewhere Mm -hmm. but that's like the only time i feel comfortable being social like outside of that setting that's when i have the problems and it it drains me and i don't enjoy it yeah so i mean i can do the i can do the showman thing on stage and then go talk to people right after Mm -hmm. but like to just like if I came to your show, I want to hide in the corner and I don't yeah. want anybody to know I'm there.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, my problem is I have such a dry and dark sense of humor that it doesn't always translate to a microphone. Right. <laughs> but hey, life is fun. You just gotta you just gotta figure out what what works for you, I guess.
0: So you're you're an artist and you're a vocalist and you do that on Broadway, but you also do the side man gig on Broadway. Mm-hmm. So which one is your favorite? Like, what oh. do you
1: prefer? I love sitting in the background playing bass for four hours and having nobody notice me.
0: <laughs> nice. Like I mean, you make the same money either way. Exactly. So <laughs> yeah, that's all that matters. So being in Nashville and doing the kind of do-it-yourself thing with your recordings and most, I mean, pretty much everything you do, um, how does that translate to your on stage playing. Are you noticing things that you didn't notice before? You started recording whether it's musically or like audibly from your ear, like how's that working out?
1: Oh, uh so a studio is basically a microscope to show you all of your flaws.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> and uh
1: now because of that, uh it's just it's made me it hasn't made me better yet. But it has shown. Well, I mean, it's made me better. But you know, more, like the biggest thing it's done is shown me where my flaws are. Okay. And uh, and then you know, once once you like once you realize what your flaws are, I mean, it's just like anything. Your personality, your playing, your your uh, you know, in, in any uh, in any aspect of your life, you need growth in. If you can't see your flaws, you can't be better. You right. can't better them. And um, so it's a lot of. Uh, you know i've noticed uh i mean uh from uh getting to work with great drummers and like you know cuz they're basically playing to a perfect click in their head right. right and so it's like uh it just makes me notice the subtleties of not being tightly locked in with them gotcha and uh and, you know and as far as like playing electric guitar um you know being in a studio like you think a solo you play live sounds good and it probably does for the room, (laughs) but then you play it in the studio and it just, it just sounds unfocused and like there's no point to the melody. And, uh, it, it, um, it really makes you be aware of your own musical, like meandering. Yeah. Instead of, um, instead of, of, of crafting a melody on a spot
0: yeah all right so that brings up an interesting question too um when you're playing and you're recording it do you approach your playing differently than when you do it live because i know me if i'm in the studio i'm trying to be more simple more consistent like i care a lot more about having everything easier and not as much going on so that there's less of a chance I'm going to make a mistake or vary up my patterns or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But then when I'm on stage live, I don't care about that as much because once it's gone, it's gone.
1: Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Like, you know, live, it's just like, try to sound good. Right. And, uh, you know, when you're in a studio, it's, it's, um, it's, you have to not sound bad. (laughs) <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh and and then you also have to and you in, you know, because you have the you know the time and you have the tools to do it all yourself, you know, you can you can sit there and actually craft something. Right. You know, what I mean, for me it's uh making music in the studio is is uh less improvisational and it's more uh like writing music. Right. Or it's it's more composition. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you're, if you're getting fancy musical term, it's composition, not improvisation.
0: Right. But also, like, if you're on stage playing, then you care a little bit more about showmanship and, mm-hmm. and that aspect of it, too. Because if you're recording a record, like, you want it to musically be, like, 100%. Yeah. And then when you're on stage, it, music needs to be there, but there also has to be a level of entertainment. And yeah. sometimes that means doing... A more bombastic guitar solo, or more bombastic drum fills, or oh yeah, anything like that, vocal tricks and yeah. all that nonsense. <laughs>
1: if, if you're playing live, you can get away with just being uh, flashy and super musically uninteresting. <laughs> it's great, you know. I ought to, I really ought to do more of that, but just hit as many notes as I can inside the bar, just because. Just, just because, just because, pe- yeah, just because people think it's cool.
0: Right. You well, it's, it's like when I do drum solo stuff, everything that I do is super basic and yeah. super elementary and like everybody loves it. But if I was to actually play something that's complicated and hard for me to play, mm-hmm. nobody would care because it's yeah. not fun and interesting.
1: Oh, my buddy dragged me to a, uh, to go see a band one time, you know, you know, big, uh, big nineties rock band. Mm-hmm. And, uh they had fantastic musicianship and then the whole crowd went absolutely insane when the dude's just playing one note on his one super high note on his guitar
0: you know what i mean right.
1: it's like man alive like you didn't you didn't like the rest of the the actual intense musicianship but then like the flashy the flat mm-hmm. the yeah the flash just, yep. it just catches everyone's attention
0: well and i mean i've always said that like more important than the guitar solo is the face and body language that come along with playing the guitar solo. Oh, so yeah. if you look like you're doing something incredibly crazy, they're going to assume you are and you're you're bending a note. <laughs> like yeah. that's what you're doing.
1: <laughs> no, I need to like be more aware of that on stage cuz you know, like I said I'm so introverted. Like a lot of times I'm just like looking down. And I'm like I I'm thinking about the music. Right. And not like being on
0: stage. No, I I get that. Um, I also get the whole not thinking about the music and being kind of an autopilot because you play so much. Mm -hmm. So like, as a drummer, I'll lose my spot in a song all the time and just kind of have to be, I wake up and I'm like, oh, uh, maybe this is the third chorus. Is there a bridge after this? Hope the guitar looks at me.
1: (laughs) Oh, as a singer, I fall asleep during songs because I've sang them so many times
0: and I'll just literally forget which Uh, which chorus I'm on. Oh, I'm sure. Um, So I play a little guitar, but not like enough to know the answer to this next question. But with drums, so many songs have the exact same pattern. And so I'll literally like, we'll be in the middle of a song and I'll think something goes here because it goes in 15 other songs and throw it in. And then everybody will look at me and be like, what are you playing? And it's like, oh, well, it's the same as the last 15 things that we played so it just happened do you have moments like that either singing or playing guitar
1: so with guitar the uh the the bad habit is to and I'm learning how to break it because of the studio uh but the the bad habit on guitar is just changing up your strum pattern Mm. uh just randomly for no reason just because you're bored
0: gotcha you know
1: yeah, and, and you know when you're in a studio, it's it's nice because it shows you that oh that makes the music worse, right? Um, and uh, but you know it's it's you know, if I'm playing solo acoustic, I can get away with doing whatever I want. Oh yeah, but you know it's uh it's it's kind of interesting. That's why honestly I love doing bass gigs because all you have to do is just sit there, follow the drummer, and uh, follow the kick drum and. You know, nobody notices you. Just hold down the fort. Right. It makes you play nice, simple, and uh, 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 locked in with the drummer.
0: I really should learn to play bass. Mm-hmm. I feel like most of the time when I see somebody needing somebody, it's a bass player. Mm-hmm. And because I've already got my kick drum, like I already know the bass part. Mm-hmm. I just got to put it to yeah, different instruments. So I should really work on that.
1: Plus the other thing is like, I mean, I'm sure you've noticed this as a drummer. Like, if you're working with a bass player who's going, like, 90 mile an hour mm-hmm. and just trying to draw attention to himself, like, unless they're top tier, right, it just gets obnoxious really quick. Right.
0: Well, and the big thing that I don't think a lot... If you don't play drums and you don't play bass, one of the things that I think is lost on people is, like, they're 100% connected. And so if I'm working with a bass player that plays completely out of my element and out of my style I struggle being able to lock in with that and being Mm -hmm. able to come up with something that fits yeah and so like normally we can dance around each other and play off of each other but if they're just way out in left field I don't know what I'm doing Mm -hmm. and it'll mess me up all night long so going back to the kind of do-it-yourself mentality have you ever paid for like promotion or having like a management team, take a look at you or any of this stuff that the typical artist looks toward?
1: Uh, no. And that's why my Facebook is, (laughs) is, uh, you know, it's not, uh, ideal for what most, most singers would be like, Oh, we need so much engagement and so many, you know, like I'm terrible at Facebook. I don't pay for anything. All right. I, uh, uh, I might've ran a Facebook ad once. Yeah. Cause I think they gave me like 10 bucks for a free credit or something. <laughs> nice. I don't know. So
0: if they give it to you, you'll take it. Of course. It. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, <laughs>
1: again, I'm super cheap.
0: All right. So the, that whole super cheap do it yourself mentality. Have you always had that or did that kind of develop? Because I made a comment in one of the other podcasts that as a musician, you're kind of trained to think that you have to do everything by yourself. Because whether it's family, friends, or whatever, like starting out, nobody's really behind you. They think it's cool that you can play guitar or sing or play drums or whatever. But Mm -hmm. like when you start talking career, they're all kind of like, "Oh, well, that's probably not going to happen." Yeah. And so like you don't really have access to any kind of help early on. It's very much a well, you figure out how to do it. You figure out how to get the gigs. You figure out how to get the money. You figure out how to, you know, keep your instrument working. And so it's a very do-it-yourself career for a long time. Now, is that where you got that mentality or kind of have you always had it?
1: I've always had it.
0: Okay. So, uh,
1: no, I mean, all like everybody in my family to do-it-yourselfer. Nice. And uh, so, I'm, so I'm sure it comes from that. It comes from, uh, uh, I, you know, I just think, I mean, recording in and of itself is, is such a skill right and uh so i'm just like you know what i you know i want to at least practice this so the next time i spend money on it i can get my money's worth
0: well that and my kind of perspective on it is like if you know enough about it to talk about it then you can have a conversation with whoever is producing Mm -hmm. or engineering your album and you have a a better chance of explaining what you want Mm -hmm. and they can understand Oh yeah, I
1: mean, like even just talking to the sound guys at work, just learning a little bit about sound makes me able to communicate with them enough of what I'm hearing. Yeah, because you know if they're in the back of the room and they're mixing us, and I've got a what a stupid little sound coming out of my uh, coming out of my my monitor, you know that they they can't even hear from the back of the room. Right. I'm like, you know, if I can at least tell them, hey, there's there's something weird. Check like seven to nine hundred. Yeah. You know, uh 7 to 900 hertz. Um that at least gives them a reference point of like what to look for. Right. And then uh because, you know, I've seen a bunch of people down there um just be like, "Oh, hey, it doesn't sound right." And they're like, "What's wrong with it?" Yeah. And th- and then the singer answers, I-,
0: "I I don't know. It's just it's it's just not right." Right. No, I, I've seen that a lot, and I really want to have a sound guy on the podcast and talk about communication because some of the words I've seen guys say in reference to how they sound is not what those words mean to a sound guy. Uh huh. So if you say, you know, it's it's really boomy, mm-hmm. well, they're going to pull down your mids because they're they're thinking it's wolfy. Like they're thinking yeah. they're, you've got that that mid tone that's kind of mm-hmm. distorting everything, and what the guy may have meant is like, you know, it's it's distorting, the gain's too high. hmm So like it's totally different problems. Yeah. And the communication barriers there. So I'd really like to have a sound guy on just to do a whole podcast about like things that they've heard and said and that have gotten mistranslated. I think that'd be hilarious. Oh, the
1: uh, <laughs> oh man, one of the dumbest things I ever said you know, I say a lot of dumb things all the time. It's fine. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's I... fine. It's it's fine.
1: I, I told the sound guy one time I was like, uh, it sounds uh, like misty. Thinking like in my mind, it was like it's not like I hear like a ton of reverb on the voice, but it has like that same sensation where like it smooths out the voice too much. Yeah. And I was I was just trying to convey that and it, it totally didn't work for for good reasons.
0: No, one of the most amusing things to me when it comes to terminology and music is like terms that drummers use. Uh-huh. Like, a symbol can sound dry, but there's no wet. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, stuff like that. It's just, like, these arbitrary terms that don't necessarily fit what they're describing. and Because, like, the opposite of dry is bright. And so, but there's also a dark when it comes to symbols, yeah, so uh-huh. it gets super confusing. so would a dry symbol be one that's like not ringing out, right? Oh, it'll still ring, but it won't have as big of a wash, which is another fun uh-huh. <laughs> fun yeah. term that doesn't at all mean what you think it would mean, yeah, but uh, yeah, no terminology in music is in general weird mm-hmm. um, and we are getting way off track of everything that I'm trying to yeah, keep well. this on, um. What are, like, going forward, like, obviously you're still doing most of your own recording and, like, bringing in buddies to help with little things. Mm -hmm. Uh, You'd mentioned bringing in a couple of our friends to do bass on some tracks coming up, and your roommate does beats so he can Mm -hmm. program, and you wanted to get him working on some stuff. What's the biggest skill that you wish you had right now that you would have to hire out for? Um... And I mean it can be something like you're developing or working on or just something you don't have and this is always gonna be a well, I'll find somebody else.
1: I mean, uh the big obvious thing would be like uh specialty instruments like playing fiddle yeah. on a track or uh, you know uh and, you know, like a banjo or anything that wasn't basically a guitar. I wouldn't I really wouldn't even want to do my own mandolin tracks. Fair enough. I uh I I I could do a bass track. But that's the thing i know so many good bass players i might as well just have them do
0: it uh, yeah i mean that's fair
1: now i am stubborn enough i'm like on my songs i just always want to do the guitars just because i love guitar it was my main instrument mm-hmm. it is my main instrument and i'm just like you know what i'm gonna be that stubborn son of a gun that it's like i know other people can play it better but i just want it to do it all myself so it sounds like me
0: but that being said like you're you're good enough at guitar, and because you have your studio, you can set and mess with it until you come up with something that mm-hmm. you like and you're happy yeah. with. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, at that point, better is arbitrary because there's always a better.
1: Yeah. there mm-hmm. there
0: There's never going to – you're not going to get anybody come in here, play a solo, and then that be the best. There's always going to be somebody that would have done it better. Yeah. So as long as you're happy with it – and, like, I've heard your stuff. It sounds fantastic. So Thank it's you. not lacking anything as far as – musicianship in the guitar area so i wouldn't worry about that at all um what about what is your what is your go-to after you get a song recorded and you put it out on spotify and everything else what how do you promote it what do you do because again if you're sticking with the do-it-yourself stuff and you're not paying for promotion you have to get in front of people so what's your plan at that point
1: um just a copious amount of facebook and instagram posts I probably ought to, you know, I really ought to figure out how to do that better. Um, yeah. Fair <laughs> Dude, I'm terrible at self-promotion. It's, it's not good. Side note, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, <laughs> yes. Apple Music, uh, at Noah Tellish Music. Noah, T-E-L-L-I-S-H. Absolutely everywhere. Nice. See that? We're getting better at this. <laughs> the progress is being made. Oh, man. But no, I mean, I'm I'm definitely like. I don't know, I'm just like a lot of musicians where I like I think Tyler mentioned this in his interview with you, was like it just feels weird to promote yourself. It
0: does. I mean, most of us have have that voice in the back of our head saying that we're crap anyway. Oh yeah. Like imposter syndrome runs rampant in our profession. Oh,
1: 100%. And so it's really hard to it. be
0: like, Hey, check out this cool thing that I'm doing that I'm not excited about because I think it's crap. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of how it is. That's... Maybe, maybe that's why like there are so many industries built around promoting and advertising other people's music mm-hmm. because we suck. And I mean, we're creatives and we're artists and like, our mind goes to creating the thing, and that's where it stops.
1: <laughs> like, mm-hmm.
0: like at that point, we don't know what to do. We, we don't think like that. It's a different skill set entirely. Um, so, being on stage, you you talked about being an introvert. When you're on stage and you're fronting a band and you can't be an introvert, how how do you feel about that? Has that has that helped over time or is it still something that you kind of aren't interested in and bugs you or is it something that like you're growing into and getting better and more comfortable with?
1: I mean, I'm always getting more comfortable with it, but it's still, it's still very fatiguing for me. You know, it's like, uh, like doing Broadway isn't, or like playing on stage, isn't something that like energizes me. Gotcha. You know, it'll like wire you up because you're in front of people, but it's not like I get a, uh, you know, it's not like you get an emotional boost from it usually, you know, it's like, uh, uh, to me, it's like, it, it wears me out. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, honestly, I wish I was an extrovert just cause that would make my job so much easier. Oh, but a hundred percent, but, uh, um, yeah, I mean, but talking to people is a life skill and Broadway's made me infinitely better at it.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have to,
1: yeah, but, um, it's
0: so like i know you're you're obviously excited to be playing and being Mm -hmm. able to play for a living but if if being on stage isn't like one of those things where like you wake up and you're like oh man i get to play on stage today then what is that for you is that like oh i have a a writing session or this guy's coming over to help me record or like what what's the big thing in music that you get super excited
1: about it's recording for sure the um Uh, yeah, I can just sit here in my little, my little, uh, my tax write off office, (laughs) right? (laughs) I can sit here in my studio and, um, and, and just play on stuff. Like, I have a bad habit of, like, okay, it's eight o'clock at night. I'm just curious about what I've been working on because I haven't listened to it for a couple days. So just listening to it with fresh ears, right? And then sure enough, I'm moving knobs around for two hours i'm like dang it i'm supposed to be sleeping right but you know 10 minutes later the sun's coming up (laughs) uh uh-huh yeah that's the thing it's like you know that's something i absolutely get lost in and uh you know down the road i would love to just record people full time that's that's the dream that's the i mean that's not even the dream that's the goal okay the um uh but in the meantime i'll go play some live shows you know promote my own original music while i'm while i'm on stage you know uh yeah. You know, if I'm on stage, the most gratifying thing is playing originals.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like most artists would probably say that. Yeah. Um, as a drummer, I'm always playing covers, whether you wrote the cover that I'm playing uh-huh. or not. So it yeah. doesn't matter to me. Uh-huh. But um so you you talked for a second about like zoning in and getting lost in what you're doing and specifically in recording. And do you go through waves of like you don't want to work on whatever this project is. Like you've got two or three projects on the shelf and this one, you don't really want to work on. It's not doing it for you. And then like randomly one night you're like, ah, let's see what happens. And then for the next three days, that's what you obsess over.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I'm an idea guy. So I like, uh, like right now I'm, I, I'm currently like daydreaming about my next EP when this one is almost done. And I'm just like, (laughs) I've listened to these songs so many times, but like, it's coming along great. And it's, uh, but it's just like, man, I wish I could just put this out. I wish I could just release this so that I can start working on the next product. Like, that's a real tension I have like right now.
0: (laughs) Nice. So like, like, is that almost like a, an anxious thing? Like you're awaiting to finish this one so you can move on? Or is it like, uh, you're just bored with this and ready to move on?
1: Uh, It's, it's more so like I'm excited, like, uh, so the, the big reason I wanted to record myself was to, uh, uh, was to, to get good at the skill of recording. And so I've learned a lot through doing these, these three songs I've, I have almost finished right now. And now I'm like, oh, okay, well, these are really good, but now I know what to do even better. So like, I kind of wait, can't wait to like have a clean slate and then see how much I've grown. Gotcha. That's a big part of it.
0: So, talking with other artists, and specifically when it comes to recording and or like writing, they have a problem with calling a project finished. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. You suffer from that too. Um,
1: actually, now that you think about it, uh, it's worse in recording because it's like you can always sit there and pick out flaws until you're blue in the face. Right. With songs, um. I'll write a song. My 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 typical mo for writing a song is, I'll get together with a couple friends. We'll bust something out in four hours, and then uh, we'll get a finished product. And then I I have to let it set for like a month before I know if I like it. That's fair. Or if or or if I know that it needs tweaked. Yeah. You know, because uh, kind of the way I write songs is it's very much, uh, um, I'm a person who pokes holes in everything. Like okay. like what, like, like any kind of idea or any kind of song or any kind of, uh, uh, I'm getting, I'm learning how to do it with sound, but you know, I'm not there yet quite. But, uh, but like my, my process is like, um, is, is just poke holes in things until it doesn't stand up anymore. And if it stands up, Oh, it's good. I gotcha. You know? So like with a song, especially like, you know, if I've been like so focused on it for four hours then, like, I can't even, like, objectively look at it anymore. Right. So then I need to basically forget about it for a month, go back, poke more holes in it, and be like, oh, okay, well, I poke new holes in it, it's still a very good song. So I think we, uh, we,
0: we got that one in the books. Okay. So, rough estimate, what is your win-lose ratio in writing? Like, you write a song, fast-forward a couple months, it's a good song, or it's garbage? Um, so I don't write a ton,
1: uh... I mean I've written 30 40 songs over the last 10 years. Yeah. Um probably uh so the, that's the reason my success rate is as high as it is, but it's probably 7 out of 10. Okay.
0: Cuz at least like lately it's come up a lot in some podcasts that I listen to and articles that I've read that there's there's this huge sect of writers and producers that feel like music is a numbers game if you produce hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of songs one of them will hit yeah and then there's the other school of thought that's no if you take your time and produce a good song it's more likely to hit mm-hmm. so would you be more of a do it and do it right or crank it out kind of guy or are you kind of a little bit of both like you can't you can't necessarily know what's going to hit. So like make good songs, but make a bunch of them.
1: Uh, Like, I don't know my whole, uh, I would be more so on the do it and do it right mm-hmm. side. Uh, just because I, uh, you know, anytime you're, uh, anytime you're making art, anytime you're, uh, you know, mimicking creation, the, uh, I, I think it's, it's, Honestly, I think it's a moral flaw to do it mediocrely for the sake of it. <laughs> yeah. And and uh I'm I'm a little bit crazy. It's fine. But the uh, a no, bit? I think <laughs> I think it's uh um you know, it's not it's not bad to write a song and it turn out bad, obviously. I'm saying it's it's uh it's trying to make art and then making it poorly almost on purpose. Like um uh, or like or like not paying enough attention to to or or not giving it actually enough attention to make it good. Yeah. You know, sometimes you just have a bad idea and then you work on it for 4 hours and you know, and it's just like you know, dead in the water kind right. of from start. And you might get an okay song out of it. But I'm I'm not about I'm not all about um I'm not about uh uh Pumping out as much stuff as humanly possible right uh for the for you know for its own sake for a numbers game like that now, obviously, like you know as a as somebody who's learning uh you know sound engineering and production, like I would love to be able to just so the more you work on something like that, the higher quality your run to the mill thing is, right, yeah, so I would love to get good at that skill so that you know. If somebody else wants to come in and do some songs real quick, they're like, hey, I I really need these done. Yeah, i gonna be like, oh, I, I hope to be talented enough that I can do the mass production thing for people. Right. That even if I'm not like super emotionally attached to it, it'll still
0: sound very good. You know what I mean? Right. So that your 70% is still better than other people's 100. Yeah. The um, see, I, mean, I, I kind of feel that way about like career studio musicians. And that's kind of like my drawback to them because they're fantastic players. Oh, yeah. Absolutely amazing. And you go into a studio, and they're going to play your track a couple of times, and it's going to sound amazing, but they don't care. Oh. What could they do if they cared?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the thing. Like, I'm bashing nobody. I wish I could get to the point where I was one of those jaded old studio musicians who cares about nothing.
0: But... (laughs) Where you go in, and you just play, and you're kind of on autopilot, and then... The guy walks out with an amazing song and you're just like, eh, it was all right. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: yeah. I'm like, I don't know. Some of the thing is, like, I think conceptually in the world, like one of the things that being in Nashville has taught me is that uh there's so much romanticism around music. Oh, absolutely. And, and Nashville. Yeah. And it's like, uh, like the older I get, the more I'm like, all right, is something good or bad? Mm-hmm. You know. You don't need some epic story about how I grinded in the studio for eight months over this and da da da. da and it's my, you know, and then every song that you know you do is a masterpiece. I'm like, well, or like, like good art is good art. You know, it's like uh, the story with uh, Warren's Cherry Pie. Mm-hmm. Like, the the band hated that song, and they wrote it as a pop radio hit. But I'm like, but it's still a great song. Right Like you don't need the You don't need the romanticism behind it To make it a great song Like art either stands For the most part Art stands on itself as good art or not Obviously some things Every once in a while Need contextualized to make sense And they're still great But you know As a rule of thumb The the end product is what you should judge Not the Not the process therein Yeah You know It's like Uh you know, it's it's like uh, I watched a video the other day on on uh, bad guitar sounds mm-hmm. in popular songs. And one of them was uh, Michael Jackson's um, uh, Billie Jean. Mm-hmm. That guitar solo in it, it was like recorded all the wrong way just as a <laughs> cheap uh, placeholder. And then they couldn't find anything that sounded
0: better. So they just kept it. Right. So it's like, I mean, there's a prime example of something's just great. Well, sticking on that, because since you are doing the recording thing, maybe you've got some cool story. But like one of my favorite things when I listen to how engineers record an album or a a single or something is like there's always something that they did that you would never do or ever think about doing. And they just had like this random off the wall idea like, hey, let's try to do this and just kind of see what happens. And it makes the track. So uh, for an example, there's a Foo Fighters song. The girl that was supposed to come in and sing harmony couldn't make it, like her flight was canceled or something. So they called her and she sang over the phone and he held the phone up to the mic and recorded it Hmm. and it fit well and like that, they used it and like it became like this thing. It was like a staple for that situation. Uh, Have you done anything or experimented in anything, whether it worked or not? that was just super off the wall or weird or that like you wouldn't think about doing in a studio setting.
1: No, actually my mindset is I need to learn how to make the very standard same sounds that everybody else makes. And then once I actually understand how those work, then branch off into the branch off into the, uh, into the abyss of, of the, the sound sphere I don't even know if that's a real phrase, but <laughs> it is now. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: It's on a podcast. It's yeah. gotta be
1: accurate. This is legit. It's on the internet. The um, <laughs> uh, no, honestly, like I'm intentionally trying to narrow myself down to learn what is cliche or stereotypical,
0: right? The, the quote unquote, right way to do. Things. Yeah. The
1: right way. The, um, cause you know, I think, uh, 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 what, what's there's some quote about it, right? It's, um, I don't know if there's a Well, Well, know my,
0: my band director in high school, referring to music, would always tell us that, like, you have to learn all of the rules so that you know how to break them later.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, no, I kind of think of it as, like, uh, creativity uh, um, is helped by borders. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, it's one of those things, if I tell you, Bob, write a book, mm-hmm. that, that's way too much. Yeah, it's overwhelming.
0: Like yeah. your your mind at that point shuts down and mm-hmm. can't come up with the concept.
1: Yeah. And so it's uh I'm I'm still learning on uh I'm working on learning the parameters of what is commonly perceived as good. Right. And uh because it's probably objectively good. You know. Right. The um no, I mean obviously. Well, I mean it's been
0: tried and tested. Yeah. And tried and statistically true. It's, a, it's coming out well. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, so I'm really just focusing on, on learning, you know, how to do that. Um, you know, cause I mean, you can, you can play around with guitar amps and make all kind of weird, crazy things until, until you're blue in the face. Like, honestly, that's why I don't listen to a lot of pop music is because, uh, uh, some of it I love, uh, sometimes I'm like, Alright, these are people with synthesizers just sitting in a room like looking for a new sound that nobody's ever come up with. Right. If 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 nobody's ever heard a sound, it's gonna be weird and like I'm I'm not attracted to that. Uh I'm not attracted to the incessant boundary pushing. You know what I mean? Okay. Like uh uh things should be based off the structure of tried and true. And then you tweak with it, you know, you don't you don't uh erase everything from the bottom and just come up with something utterly new because, like, that's that's too far out of, like, human comprehension to actually grasp. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, I think, I think a lot of uh, younger musicians, I remember, like, you know, I was much more into that kind of thing when I was a teenager because right. it's like, oh, man, we need to find uh, music with the most passion, the most authenticity, the most uniqueness. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, or... You just play with the structures that are already in place and write good songs. That's, <laughs> to me, that's way more valuable than like trying to bend people's ears in, into some new trippy direction. You well, know what I mean?
0: That's a fun concept. Let's talk about that for a second because, like, when it comes to like older music, so like say like seventies and eighties rock, like. I struggle playing it because it doesn't follow the rules that I have learned Mm -hmm. as a musician. Yeah. And it's obvious why. It's because most of these guys didn't learn to play music traditionally. They learned to play by playing along to records and figuring it out themselves. And so, like, there was no right or wrong. There was just, hey, this sounds cool. Let's do that. Mm -hmm. And so, fast forward to today, like, everything – fits a pretty similar structure. Like musically, everything is done Mm -hmm. more quote unquote correctly, more traditionally correct. Um, Do you think a lot of that striving to be different and unique and kind of saying to hell with all the rules at a young age is because you don't want to put the time in to learn the rules and you don't know that. So it's easier to just be like, hey, I don't know how to do that. So I'm just going to do this and hope that I can make this work.
1: No, I don't think it's that well thought out. I think it's, uh, I think it's just the romanticism around it. Like, of like, you know, if it's like bumper sticker ideology, because, you know, when you're, you know, when, at least when I was 17, I wasn't capable of thinking hardly, you know, I was, I was like barely a sentient being, but like, you know, it's like, uh, but it's like, you, you get onto like slogan ideology, like, oh, we need music that's, that's, artistic and expressive like what does that even mean i'm like or uh or or uh or yeah or just authentic or or real i'm like you can make real music like i to me it's it's replacing craftsmanship with uh like you know, or like in the concept of songwriting, right? Right. So like, there's a craft to writing songs. You know, there's there's structures, and you know, you can bend them and you can tweak them, but uh, you know, and like, there's little concepts within songs of like alliteration, just like making sure the 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 consonants of your of your uh, of your songs just roll together in a in a pleasing way, right? You know, and uh, it's what makes songs memorable and catchy, and uh, I th- I think like you. I think when you know when we were kids it, we had a much easier time of overlooking important concepts to build better songs with under the guise of raw and authentic. Okay. You know what I mean? And it's like obviously, you know music, should, music shouldn't be necessarily music in its best form isn't mass producible. Right. But like that doesn't mean you can't take a mass-produced structure and put something beautiful in it okay and it's like for me like you know everybody everybody complains about country radio i'm like it's because they've gotten so good at producing things that sound like that everything's pristine Mm -hmm. and like for me i'm like well i can either be uh i can either be like this brand myself as an outlaw oh we're not gonna do modern country well and uh and then just you know then just Uh, play cowboy chords until I'm blue in the face or I can be like okay so this is what people want to hear you know I can learn how to work in that realm roughly Mm -hmm. without like without like utterly reinventing myself but I can I can cater to that sound a little bit right and still make and like I can write a you know a good song and, you know, I don't care what the production sounds like. Necess- or what, I don't care what style it's in. A good song is a good song.
0: Now, it's funny that you bring up style because I don't know if this is still one of your ideas. But a couple years ago when we were playing together a little bit more consistently and you were talking about your your future in recording and your records, you had brought up the idea of doing an extremely country record. And then taking those exact same songs and turning them into an extremely pop record. Mm -hmm. Are you still planning on doing that? Is that still a thing? That's
1: a big life goal. Yeah.
0: I've probably got three songs I could do that with. I, I, I mean, you could probably do it with any of your songs if you really wanted to. Well, yeah but but no i've i've made the argument dozens of times that like you can write a classic style country song mm-hmm. and then produce it as a pop song and it'll be a fantastic pop mm-hmm. song like you don't have to you don't have to hate new country because you like classic country
1: yeah i and, mean it would be nice if there was like modern country and like traditional country radio stations if they would separate them out
0: yeah and i mean but- to a point, like they do with like the Americana stuff, and like, like they've kind of given it like a separate genre, but it it isn't commercial. It it's not easily accessible.
1: uh yeah. To me, it just panders to different people. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, but but no, like I've I've not to call anybody out, but I've had a bunch of friends that will go on and on and on about how they hate new country because it's it's pop and it's not really country and like classic country is the only country but then I'll get in the car with them and they're listening to pop songs like (laughs) I mean it Uh it doesn't make like I mean first of all music is music if you enjoy it you enjoy it like there there doesn't have to be a separation due to categorization but like if a good song is a good song it's a good song yeah, It doesn't matter what genre it is. It doesn't matter what the production is. As long as it's done well and it's a good song, it's a good song. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting back to your recordings and what you're doing, how has the production changed from your last batch of songs that you released to this current batch that you're working on?
1: Uh, so the last batch I did, I, uh, I actually did it like right as everything was announced they were going to shut down. So I like, I wrote, I literally wrote three songs in a weekend, recorded acoustic versions and put them out. And, uh, it turned out great. The, the EP is called Place to Hide. It's a, it's all acoustic, just, you know, a couple acoustic guitars and a fiddle and my voice. And, uh, those three songs turned out amazing. And, uh, um, I'm super happy with it. You know, this, this one I'm working on now, it's got, you know, it's got the, the full band, right. The full band production. And, uh, This is much more difficult. (laughs) uh, More
0: moving pieces.
1: Yeah, more moving pieces. And, uh, you know, it really makes you... uh, um, Yeah, everything just has to be layered correctly so it's not tripping over itself. Then you have to play it correctly so it's not tripping over itself. (laughs) You know, like the, the last one I did was like so bare bones that... Uh, you know, it wasn't. Uh, well, I mean, it, when you
0: listen to it, it mentioned. almost sounds like a live record. Like it yeah. was just recorded live. Yeah. So it's got that kind of feel to it. But yeah. I mean, it sounds fantastic. And oh, thank you. I love the songs. Um, on the new one, like you said, you're doing the more full, full band. Mm-hmm. Um, biggest difference, or at least in my opinion, is now you have drum tracks. Yeah. Um, so all your drum tracks are programmed. Yep. And you program them all. Yes. Um, and you're not a drummer. No. So what was your process in going about, like, figuring out how to make these drum tracks that aren't real drums and isn't a real drummer sound authentic?
1: Uh, one, picking your brain. I mean, uh, I mean, I would start with, like, a, a pre-programmed loop mm-hmm. and, like, work off of that so that I at least had a reference point. Uh, I would find something that was close enough and then tweak it. Yeah. Um, but, uh... Uh, no, I mean, I just kind of like, for me, like the drums, uh, are very much there for dynamics. Okay. You know, and it's like, that's how I think about them. I mean, obviously they're, they're to keep time they're to, they're to, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, your drums are like the second most important part of your sound, probably after the voice. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The voice is what people relate to. The drums are what people feel, you know? And then... Guitars can, they can sound like whatever they want. You know what I mean? As long as it's a good sound.
0: Well, and I mean, even that's debatable. Well,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, uh, um, and, uh, yeah, no, I basically just program drum tracks and use it as a map yeah. to record the rest of the song over.
0: So, with the rest of the recordings, like you're adding, you know, bass and electric guitar, mm-hmm. and are, are you doing like different layers of guitar? Or are you doing different electric tracks or is it basically just you got your rhythm and your lead like how, how are you are you going like full on with like three four five different guitar tracks or yeah is it the
1: um let's see what did i do um uh my on my new hit song nowhere north dakota available soon which they... you
0: wrote yeah in north dakota with me yeah before you yeah. got COVID, <laughs> i started
1: it up there and then got brain brain what do you call it writer's block and uh, I had to finish it like six months later. But the, um, so I wrote that one. It was, it was a solo, right? Um, you know, like with that, I did, you know, uh, a drum track. I got a professional to play bass on it. Joe Reed, amazing bass player. The, um, uh, and then I, I layered, uh, you know, big, heavy electric guitars left and right. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then you kind of fill it in with, uh, well, with uh, a lead and, Uh, kind of more towards the middle,
0: and I'm waiting on fiddle tracks right now, so
1: that'll be good,
0: though. So does it get more and more difficult the more you add into it, or for, like, general, if it's a guitar, like, you have a good idea of where it sits, and it's not really that complicated?
1: Um, The biggest thing I've learned is uh, the more instruments that you put into a mix the smaller each one has to be. Okay. Uh, because, you know, you only have so many, you only have so much, you're trying to make a big block of sound. So if, you know, if you have four instruments and they each take up a quarter of that block of sound, you know, you don't get a bigger block necessarily if you're putting in 16 instruments. Gotcha. And so it's, a, it's you know, it's a lot of just, uh, um, the biggest thing is recording really good sounds in the first place. Because you know, if you record a bad sound, you can't just sit there and mix it, you know, right? Until it sounds good, you can only polish so much. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's it's really just getting a good sound out of your amplifier and and putting the microphone in the right place and and uh, and hoping that that sound works. Not hoping, but you know, making that sound work with you know in contrast to the bass and the drums.
0: Right. I mean, the same thing goes with live setting too. Like, yeah. the more people you have on stage, the easier it is for it to get muddied up, mm-hmm. and for everybody to step on each other's toes. Yeah, and it becomes a thing. That's why I've never understood the concept of having more band members is preferred in certain situations. Not calling yeah. any specific clubs out, but some of them will like require you to have five people on stage. Yeah, but some of the best bands I've ever heard are a trio and they're oh, yeah. amazing Uh-huh. like so number of players and quality do not go hand in hand mm-hmm. um what has been like the biggest aha moment you've had learning to record and specifically in this new ep that you're working on
1: hmm that's a good one um It was honestly probably that last, you know, just, you know, making sure you get a really good sound going into the computer instead of like recording something that sounds okay and then you assume you can polish it later. Gotcha. And, um, uh, okay, I'll tell you what, the biggest, the biggest aha moment I've had recently is learning how much guitar speakers affect a sound. Okay. Because like the amp is the, uh, you know, like we're sitting here in the studio and we've got, uh, we've got, you know amplifier heads that are that just amplify the power and then we have speaker boxes that speaker cabinets right. that that actually uh, and then you can mix and match them like the the amplifier is the super expensive thing that is the most glamorous it's got the most knobs mm-hmm. you know where's your speaker cabinets you got two speakers in them and a and a jack in the back right and uh but it really blew my mind when i started to realize how much different different speakers sound OK. And uh, yeah, it's almost like because uh, I mean, it makes sense, like if you think about it, because the speakers are the thing that physically turn your electric signal into a, a sound wave. Right. And uh, um, uh, but, you know, but yeah, you know, if you go on YouTube, you know, it's not like it's not like guitar players uh, nerd out about speakers the way right. they do about amps or pedals or right or all these things. Uh, yeah, over the last, over the last, uh, four months or so, I've really been trying to do a deep dive into just how to make a, a guitar amp sound good. Okay. And, uh, you know, and just, just how to get different sounds and, um, uh, everybody overlooks the speaker because... You know, because they might have bought an expensive cabinet and it has nice speakers in it already, so that just works for them, right? And then, but like, it's so much fun to just go into, go into Guitar Center, find a new uh, a pedal, and just turn knobs until you make something cool.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense because I mean, like in the in the drum side of things, like you see tons and tons and tons of people on forums and on Facebook or whatever asking, like, well. Does this kit sound good? Does this wood sound good? And more often than not, like which heads you use make way bigger difference than oh, what yeah. wood your kits made out of. Uh-huh. Like there's there's a couple woods that, you know, favor to different tones and frequencies, but for the most part, like if you have a mahogany drum and you have a maple drum and you tune them the same with the same heads, Unless you're like super dialed in to drum tones, you're not going to notice a difference. Yeah, it's, it's the same drum. Well, the so. other thing is, like, it doesn't
1: matter how good an amp sounds if you can't play. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, just from sitting and uh, sitting and recording, it just made me really pay attention to my right hand, my picking hand. because mm-hmm. uh, it's like, you know, if you don't get the right hit on the string it's just going to sound stagnant anyway you do it right and uh it's it's really interesting
0: that i mean that's like the whole art of recording fascinates me like it it's daunting and i'm super afraid of it but it's yeah. super fascinating and like in little bite-sized doses it all makes sense it's when you put it all together that it gets overwhelming mhm and and so i mean honestly that's like that's why i'm not doing drum tracks out of my house it's cuz i'm scared of it yeah. Like 100%. Like I've got equipment. I can do it. I've got a DAW. I've got you know, I've got an interface. Like I can do it. I've got everything I need except yeah. the knowledge and confidence to do it.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing. I'm like luckily my uh my my being cheap overrules my <laughs> my my fear of incompetence. Cuz nice. obviously I have soul-crushing fear of incompetence, but I'm like, you know, luckily I'm just like, I'm just gonna practice on myself, make EPs. Mm-hmm. It'll sound really good, or yeah, first one will sound <laughs> or good. Will
0: hit delete and nobody will ever know.
1: <laughs> yeah, but the uh, you know, or yeah, you just make an EP and it'll sound fine. Then you do the next one, it'll sound good. Then you do the next one, it's like, man, this is this is coming along. Next one will be very good. Then you know, you do ten or fifty or who knows, and then you know, next thing you know, you're like. You have the. I just desperately, not desperately. I just very much want to learn the skill set of recording. Yeah. And uh, and and uh, and engineering,
0: production, all of it. All right, so come going full circle back to like an overview of a, a typical musician's career. I know, especially, like, in the past years with COVID and everything else, like, a lot of stuff has changed from being live performances to uh, people are recording a lot more because that's your only option. Or if you're doing a performance, it's digital and you're streaming it. So, like, being able to understand and run sound has become much more important Mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of things. Um, Is there any other skills that you've been working on outside of just musicianship and recording that you think is like detrimental to your career like you have to have this and so i mean it could be it could be as big as like marketing and advertisement or it could be as small as like guitar repair or something like that so like is there anything else you've kind of picked up and been learning and working on that you've noticed it's much more important than you maybe initially thought. Uh, no, marketing
1: for sure is like the thing that's always floating around in the back of my head. Like I need to get good at this, but like currently, you know, I mean, recording is so uh, it just encapsulates your so your whole head, your whole mind, and that's uh, I've been too I've been too busy uh, just learning all that to even like dip my toe into the marketing field. Right? So maybe that'll be twenty twenty three's project. <laughs> Wait, what year? It's 22, right? Yeah. yeah. So maybe next year. <laughs> maybe next year, probably 2025, who knows. Whenever it becomes a necessity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, tell you what, one of the one of the upsides about about uh about being an artist though is that like if you write a good song and record a at least a decent version of it, mm-hmm. you've got like an evergreen product you can always go back to. Like yeah. especially in the world of streaming right now like there's a reason that people are putting out 30 song albums because people just hit the artist, hit play and they go to town and then whatever songs land land. Right. And so the, you know, the upside of that is, you know, if I get discovered like 10 EPs down the road, then people can go back and just find some of my old songs Mm -hmm. that, you know, you know, once you record songs past a certain point, nobody can tell the difference except for musicians. Right. And so, uh, you know, if I can get to the point, uh, production-wise, where at least I'm fooling the average person, you know, then I'm then I'm at a point where like, oh, I wrote this great song ten years ago, and people are just now discovering it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then you know, and that's... then there's
0: also you know the the chance to re-record it and mm-hmm. re-put it out, and yeah, and then you know the old version becomes that cool lost copy that yeah, yeah. that only real fans know about yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that's uh but. Yeah. But no, going going back, because you mentioned, you know, people putting out, you know, double albums and like 20, 30 songs there for a long time, it looked like the industry was moving into a like single based Mm -hmm. release. So like an artist will release a single and then a month later, two later, another single Mm -hmm. and just just do it incrementally. And then you've you've had a handful of big name artists like Morgan Wallen that yeah. just throws a crap ton of songs out all at once and like they ride that album for a long freaking time yeah and so like in in and I mean obviously you don't know but in your opinion which one is like if you release single by single there's less chance that your song gets lost but if you release just like all your songs at once like that then you legitimately have time to sit and write and create and not have to worry about just producing something for the next deadline. Yeah. So in 3 to 5 years, do you think we're going to see more of the like double albums and massive amounts of songs come out or do you think most artists are still going to stick to that single release or like and and what do you think the pros and cons are of each one? Let's see.
1: Uh, Honestly, my guess, it'll just be more of more what we have now, like small time artists just do singles at a time. Mm -hmm. And then the big artists who can afford it, who who can afford to pay the producers, will just do massive over the top albums. Okay. uh, And so the benefits of each one is that like if you release a ton of new music all at once, people can just hit play and walk away and go to work and, and listen to your whole album. Right. Right. Your whole insane amount of songs album, right and uh you know but the the perks of doing a single is that if you're good at marketing which i'm not (laughs) (laughs) then you have something new to market more consistently right and so that's kind of where the mindset is with that as i understand it um you know as for myself i like the concept of uh of of having you know 10 song albums or even EPs. I like I like the concept of projects that like every song on them is great and they work as a full project, right? You know. Um, so for me, I always I, I always intend on doing you know no less than three and probably no more than like eleven songs on a project, and uh, just because I like the I, I remember growing up as a little kid just listening to uh, like Tom Petty's wildflower album the the whole way through Mm -hmm. it was like 14 songs now i'm like it's a little long or like taylor swift fearless eric church's chief like those are the records i love because they worked as a full unit yeah and uh i think when you go with just one song it's not there's no there's nothing to be continuous with and if you go with 40 songs like there's no way you can make all of them continuous
0: right you know well so like like i know back in the day when when I was buying CDs and listening to music and stuff, like I'd go buy a CD and I expected eight to 12 songs or whatever. And then like, I distinctly remember the first time, like I was excited about an album coming out and it came out and like, it was, it was three new songs and then three old songs Mm re-released. And like, I remember legitimately being disappointed because like, I've, I've heard these songs, I've got these songs, like, these songs are, like, even though they're re-released, like, they're still the same song. It's not a new idea. It's just polished up a little different. Yeah. So I'm spending the same amount of money for three songs that I legitimately want to hear, and then three songs that I don't want to hear. hmm And then the last CD I bought was eight to ten songs that I legitimately wanted to hear. And then on the inverse to that, once things moved to an online platform where it was less about buying an album and more about buying a song. Then it became only the singles get heard. Yeah. Like you hear it on the radio, you go buy it online. That's the song that gets pumped track, you know, four and six might be huge on a, on an album. And then the rest of them get left behind. And then you stumble upon track three, six years down the road. And that's your favorite song. Uh-huh, so like i I kind of get both like I understand wanting to put out an epic double release album with tons of songs because again, you can ride that for a while. And then doing the singles, you can give each song the attention that as an artist, I would hope that you would think your song deserves. yeah. but flipping the script, like if you're releasing singles, And a song comes out and it doesn't make waves, like it doesn't hit home with your audience, that's the only one you got. Yeah. Like there's that that's a that's a flop. Like Mm -hmm. and you ride that flop until your next song comes out. But if you release twenty songs and eight of them flop, I mean you still have a huge catalog of great songs that people love that they can listen to until your next project comes out. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I think there's I think I don't know that there's necessarily a better option. I, I think, like you said, if you're if you're a younger artist or you know don't have the money to put behind a massive project, then doing singles is going to be more beneficial. Or if you're building your name and building your reputation, mm-hmm. singles have that air of momentum. Yeah. As to where, like,
1: or they give you more opportunities to grab momentum.
0: Right. As to Whereas where, if like, you
1: have a thirty-song record you know you can really capitalize on that momentum Mm -hmm.
0: yeah exactly and like for example morgan wallen's double album like he's not going to come up with another album eight months later yeah like he's gonna ride that for a while Mm -hmm. and he can because there's a lot of great songs on it and he's a huge artist and like he's got the fan base that will devour that yeah and really like pick it apart and listen to it and love it. And like it can carry him. Yeah. As to where if you released a double album, three months later, it's going to be lost.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. Like you don't have nobody knows who I am. Yeah. You don't
0: have the push behind you to keep uh-huh. it alive. So, so yeah, no, I, I think you're right about the the younger artists versus the more. I don't even want to say bigger artists, but really it, it's, it's, it's yeah, a, it's a money thing. Big money. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, for
1: me, luckily because I'm introverted, I don't care if I ever get famous. Obviously I want to get rich off of music. That'd be nice. <laughs> right. But you know, for me, I'm like, I'm literally trying to make, uh, you know, art that I like that is in the pop music realm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not like, I'm not doing like passion projects. But I'm trying to make pop music. I can be passionate about. Yeah. And like so, you know, like it stresses me out that you know this out this EP isn't done yet. And uh, but like there's always more I can chip away at it. Right. But like it's uh it's kind of interesting though. It's like, but because I you know I'm I do it all myself. I have the freedom to put out n- uh, songs that I absolutely love that nobody else might like mm-hmm. or that radio would hate. And I, you know, I have the, uh, it's actually kind of interesting. So, uh, uh, my first, uh, my first EP listen, I did it, you know, like full production with, uh, one of the sound guys from work. He, he produced it Mm -hmm. and then, uh, got it mixed somewhere else. So, uh, I, I wrote four songs and recorded them. And then, uh, uh, now I, uh, I hate the fourth track. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely like I thought it was a good song and then I heard it so many times I'm like right. okay this isn't that great and it's catchy enough I guess but but yeah so cute when you lie if you listen to it on Spotify just know that I hate that song <laughs> if you like it great but uh and then on my on my second album I uh I literally uh my second EP um Place to Hide mm-hmm. the acoustic one I did last year or 2020 during the shutdown um I wrote the three songs in a weekend and put them out. I really didn't even have time to process if they were good or not. And then, but I, I, I just wrote them, put them out. And, uh, the one song that I thought would be the hit, biggest hit is the one that people reacted to the least. Right. And then the middle song that I thought might've been too general. Like I absolutely love it's, it's still growing on me. And then the third song that I thought most people would like, where the was the you know, biggest hit off of it by biggest hit. I mean, you know, that's the one that, people just expect to hear when I'm on my Facebook live stream. You know what I mean? Right. And it's, uh, it's super fascinating. And like taking a step back, this, you know, the second and third song are objectively better songs, but I still really like the first one and <laughs> nobody else did. And, uh, it's like with this EP coming out, uh, there's one song on it that I'm like, I think I like this, but I don't really know yet. I don't know if I'll get sick of it or not. Right. But the, uh, uh but then the one sounds way better than I was ever expecting it to and the uh, and the and the uh the title track is just fallen right into place where I thought it would
0: well i feel I feel like in artist interviews, you get that a lot where artists are like, I had no idea that this was gonna be the song that took off like I don't like this song. We almost didn't put it on the record. Like something like that, where it's always like something off the wall that they would have never expected. Uh huh. Oh, even... Avenged
1: Sevenfold, Little, P- a Little Piece of Heaven. Do you know that one? I don't. Oh, it's, as a Christian, I can't recommend it, but it's fantastic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. Yeah. I but... love the disclaimer. But no, like, um, even Dave Grohl with the Foo Fighters said that uh, if he'd have thought that his project was going to take off, he'd have named it something other than the Foo Fighters. Yeah, <laughs> like, like I feel, I feel like as as an artist and as a musician, like, like you can have an idea, but you really never know because uh-huh. like it, the the I guess the the over encompassing difference between the artist and the general population is just too big of a gap to where we can actually like predict what's going to hit and what's going to like mm-hmm. make the biggest splash. The other thing
1: is like the thing that I think is horrifying is uh like I have my thoughts on what songs are good and what songs I write that aren't. Right. Or like uh like if if I'm recording them, I think they're good. Yeah. Because I do it all myself and I don't have to record songs I don't like. It's great. But the um but it's interesting, like, as soon as you get positive feedback on one, you think it's better than you thought it was. And then as soon as you get negative feedback on one, even that what you like, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, is this objectively not a good song? And it messes with your head.
0: Well, I mean, even even like songs that you don't write, like, I have I can't tell you how many times I've listened to a song or somebody showed me a song on the radio or something. And I've been like, this is garbage. Like, this is absolute garbage. And then three months later, it's the biggest hit on the radio. And it comes on, and I'm jamming to it. Like, uh-huh. I love it. Like yeah. it's, it's amazing, and I mean, I mean that just goes to show that like it's a, it's a whole new music thing too. Yeah, because like I don't I don't remember I read an article one time, and at a certain age, you become way more closed off to new music, and at that point, like everything beyond that is harder to understand, harder to get into. Like mm-hmm. you you just typically don't like it until you've heard it enough to where it's familiar. Yeah um and so like like listening to a song and it becoming familiar takes a lot of that first layer of well this is trash out Mm -hmm. of it yeah so sometimes it does take like the three months of hearing a song on the radio before you're like you know what screw it i like it
1: (laughs) yeah to tell you what an album i heard last year that i thought was awesome was uh olivia rodrigo's album Mm -hmm. it was killer right i mean i don't know who's writing her songs if it's her or somebody else but they're on point.
0: Oh, there's, there's a lot of new stuff, like, right now that I'm I am really enjoying. And, like, as much as I hate to say it, like, like even the Morgan Wallen stuff. And I have not been on the Morgan Wallen train at all. But, like, he doesn't, like, I don't care for his voice. But the songs that he's putting out, like, I get it. Yeah. I understand why everybody loves them. That's the thing, like,
1: uh, Dangerous, his album, mm-hmm. like... I thought it was great. I thought it needed to be like eleven songs instead of thirty, <laughs> <laughs> right. but you know. But I was like, "Hey, the dude made some good art and got recognized for it."
0: Well, and like like a Morgan Wallen song comes on, and like it, it it's it's that step above everything else you hear on the radio mm-hmm. right now. And there's there's a lot of guys that have amazing careers of putting out things that just like fit right in the slot. Yeah. And so when you hear something like Morgan Wallen songs come on and they're just a little bit above, mm-hmm. it makes a huge difference. Like, yeah. Um, I would use Luke Combs as an example. Yeah. Like the songs that he put out, he puts out I feel like are very much like right there in the groove of what country music is today and like what the fan base of country music understands and wants to hear. Like he yeah. stays right in that groove. And so a lot of this, like when he comes out with a new song, I will swear to you, I've heard that song before. Like, I will listen to it and I'll be like, Are "You sure this is new? I heard this two years ago, right?" Uh-huh. And then, Morgan Wallen stuff, it's not like that. Like, you hear Morgan Wallen song, and whether it's lyrically, vocal melody, or the production behind it, like, it's it's a little different. It's still close enough to where it's comfortable and familiar but there's enough difference to set it apart from everything else that's going on. Yeah. Um, So going back to your work, what do you do to kind of like, obviously like I've heard a lot of your stuff and a lot of your stuff sits very much in what you would consider like lyrically that country music realm. Mm -hmm. It all tells a story. It's typically a, a passionate story. It's not about like some random off the wall subject that, Nobody cares. Like, I it's try something, not to
1: write songs that are vapid.
0: It, it's something like all your songs are something that people can relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have a very country music song and you play a very country music style for the most part. So when you get into your recordings and you're you're dealing on the production side, like what are you trying to add to it or preserve in it that keeps it one authentic and true to your vision of the song but sets it apart from what everybody else is putting out.
1: So, uh, at the risk of sounding like a egotistical person while trying to self promote (laughs) the, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, this, this is always like awkward for me. Like, no, what's good about your music? I'm like, like, uh, I do think I will confidently tell you I am a good songwriter.
0: And I would absolutely agree.
1: Okay. Well, thank you. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yeah. But the um, – so for me, it's like the song uh, – the song, that's the most important part.
0: Oh, absolutely. And so
1: like as far as production, I'm just trying to uh, – I'm just trying to like get the sounds to be up to par with what's standard. I'm not worried about doing anything crazy, though I will say um, I'm really trying to get uh, uh, guitar solos that I'm super proud of that are super unique. Okay. And uh uh, you know, and well plus some uh the fiddle player I got playing on my songs is world class and so that helps. So anytime I, mean, I leave a gap for something, <laughs> she'll just come in and pl- play over it and it'll be amazing. Right. Um but yeah, no, like the big thing is like, you know, if you nail the song the in the writing process the rest can just kind of fall into place like even like you know i mean look at that morgan wallen album Mm -hmm. the uh all the songs sounded alike you think so yeah like uh the production wise i mean okay all the productions sounded alike but the good songs poke their heads through right you know what i mean yeah like, you know, I'll sit there and go, eight, six, five, three, oh, nine, you know, until I'm blue in the face. Right. Yeah. Because like, it, to me, the songwriting was just a cut above like, you know, a lot of the rest of it. Okay. And like, there was, I don't think there was a bad song on the album, but you know, there was a lot of, there was a couple songs that were just, you know, got lost in the mix. Less interesting. yeah, yeah. Less interesting. That's a good way to put it. But you know, for me, it's like the good songs poke through,
0: like, as long as you get your production clean and professional, uh... so by the time you get to the production stage, and like you're you're you've got the song, mm-hmm. like at that point you're not even does it cross your mind at all? Like, how are you? What are you gonna do to to, I guess, propel this song? Or is it just strictly at that point? Like, I have the song, I just have to make it sound good.
1: It's a it's like what would make this song sound good? That's the way I look at it. It's okay. like. Okay, so, uh, so it's, it's like on the new EP, one, you know, one song is very, uh, very 90s country twangy. One is, uh, uh, one's got big heavy guitars in it, and one is like very light electric guitars just dancing around the background. And, uh, you know, I cater the, I cater the instrumentation to the song itself. Okay. You know, um, it's not like I have a standard. oh, do one guitar left, one guitar right, bass and drums right at the middle, uh, just for every song. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, you know. I I just start with the song and be like, okay, how do I want to hear this song played? You know, so it's not like I have to do a, a bunch of sorcery, but you just you just cater the production to the song itself. Okay. And uh, now, obviously, down the road, when I get much better at all this, I would love to focus more on the sorcery, all the all the cool little trippy little notes in the background that, you know, nobody's even going to hear. But you'll, you know, kind of, right. you know, but um,
0: but sticking with your philosophy, are you like still assuming that, like, if you have a great song that, you know, as long as you don't mess up the production, you'll have a great mm-hmm. final product. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and like the production only goes up. Like to me the song is what's set in stone. The uh yeah, cuz like uh yeah, the the song is what's what's set in stone. Like that's what people hear. Like uh I've never heard somebody who doesn't play music go. uh dude, I just I just love uh, the way those electric guitars are in that song, you
0: know what I mean? Right. Unless I, they're specifically talking about like the lead solo.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's just like uh, uh, people don't hear that stuff, right? Musicians do, and I want to get to a place where I can do it just as good as
0: anybody else. So do you have do you have a person that is kind of your backboard that you throw songs at that isn't a musician that gives you like the the general perspective um
1: uh yeah i do it's a guy i met at uh uh at aj's one time him and his uh rocky him and his his whole crew of friends from wisconsin came down i played a new song i had just written they absolutely loved it and uh we all became friends ever since so like nice. he's a he's a he's a he's a super passionate about music so i'll send him new songs and be like, hey, is this any good, just from a totally outside perspective.
0: And and so statistically, like, is he pretty accurate? Is that kind of blind? Oh, yeah, I like this. I know nothing about what's going on, but this is pleasing. Is that is that pretty consistent? Like, are those mm-hmm. songs usually, do they go over well with others, or is it kind of hit and miss and still kind of? I don't
1: know. I can't remember specific feedback at this moment. But, <laughs> but enough. you know, you just, you, or uh, or, heck, I'll send stuff to, like, A lot of times I'll send stuff to my brother Nate, who's very good at uh, because he has, you know, he he's he's not a person who likes pop music at all. Mm -hmm. So like for me, that'll be a good check that I'm not doing anything too crazy in that realm. Or, uh, or, uh, uh, yeah, no. But I mean, I generally tend to. My brother Nate's a musician though, but so that doesn't quite apply. But but now usually. Uh, a lot of times I'll just like play things at work and see how they respond there.
0: I mean, I guess, yeah, that makes sense since you have that venue to, to try things out. Yeah, it. Which I tell uh, you what
1: though, my song, do it for the dog. I wrote it with, um, which is my personal favorite. Okay. That's good to hear <laughs> the, um, I wrote that with my friends, Kelly Jean and Elijah Jordan. And, uh, that song goes over well, like 25% of the time. Really?
0: Yeah. No, and I think that's it's one of the so best songs good. I've written. Like
1: it stresses me out. Dude, so I'm gonna record it anyways. I don't care if nobody dude, likes when it. When you
0: hit the end of that chorus and like like it finally absolutely clicks what exactly you're saying, uh-huh. it's just like, oh my god, my heart. Yeah.
1: Like, ow. I mean Oh, dude, I offered to write it with Tyler and then we got distracted. Yeah,
0: well. <laughs> well, what are you gonna do? I, I guess he missed that bust. I don't know. Well, <laughs> but like, dude, I love that. Like, absolutely 100 percent without a doubt my favorite song from you that's a great song yeah like, it's so good that's that's one i would like to put on my future pop album
1: slash country that one
0: just needs to be recorded and out because yeah it just like, needs to be recorded period maybe i'll do a so youtube good.
1: video or something
0: so good like if i can help get that out faster let me know yeah, yeah. <laughs> i need to be able to listen to that
1: uh-huh but, yeah
0: no. but no i mean i've always had like i don't I don't put out music. So like if I join a new band or I'm working with a new artist, one of Mm -hmm. the first things I do is I take their music and I go to my group of friends that aren't musicians and let them hear it and, Half the time, I completely disagree with whatever their opinion is. I think they're absolutely idiots. Uh And then six months down the road, I'm like, "Well, you are absolutely right." Like, if if they think the artist is bad and they don't like the songs, and I'm like, "What are you talking about? This is fantastic." Six months later, we Uh have done nothing productive, and like nobody is liking the songs, and it's like, ah. but if yeah. they're like, "Oh no, man, this is great song. This is a cool artist. I would come see you." Mm-hmm. Then typically those are the artists that we have the best runs with and like yeah. the best shows. And so like there, there's something to be said about the difference there. Like we can't really trust our brain to decide what's mm-hmm. good for people that don't understand. Yeah. And inversely, like, people love a lot of stuff that is trash. Yeah. like legitimately, like musically, is not good. Mm-hmm. not well written not well produced oh yeah i mean punk music is a whole genre of yeah. just that <laughs> and don't get me wrong i had my punk days and like i was in a punk band and oh some of it's we great. toured and it, it's i i think i think what's lost on musicians about punk music in general is that it's not about the music at all like the music is just the the subculture yeah it's the culture it's the attitude behind it it's the rock star but like very bottom mentality like it's its whole thing but but yeah like you can't trust yourself to determine what is good for the market like you Mm -hmm. know what is and isn't good music because you understand music Mm -hmm. but the market doesn't and it doesn't care
1: yeah no, I mean, but again, that's kind of the thing that's relieving about, you know, doing everything myself is that I can record songs that I like. Mm-hmm. And if the world hates them, well, I probably wasn't going to get famous anyways. So at least I made <laughs> art I can be proud right. of. You know what I mean? And, um, no, and I mean, I...
0: there's nothing wrong with using like using Spotify or, you know, Apple Music or whatever to catalog your songs without the expectation of making a billion dollars. Yeah. Like, if it's there and you can access it whenever you want to, like, mm-hmm. that's half the goal right there. Yeah. I mean, before that, I can't tell you how many times it'd be like, oh, my band recorded a song. You'll have to come out to the house and I'll play it for you, you know? Yeah, uh-huh.
1: It's <laughs> like, yeah, my whole, my whole paradigm is just, like, make something good.
0: Yeah.
1: And, like... You know, obviously, I hope people hear it. I hope people love it. I hope I would get to a point one day where I can uh, go out and get paid way too much money to play an hour and a half of my own music. Right.
0: But if that never happens, oh, well, at least I made great, great art. I mean, as long as you're proud of it and you're happy with it, like, that's really the best that you can ask for. Everything else is just a bonus.
1: Well, if you can eat, too, that helps.
0: I mean, the starving artist thing is a legit thing. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So we're going to wrap this up pretty soon, but I want to throw like a couple of just like rapid fire questions at you. Hit me. All right. Number one, where do you see yourself in the next five years? A lot richer. Um, uh, Honestly, just
1: being able to record uh, my own EPs quickly and be in the habit of doing demos for people.
0: And have you going from, you know, one batch of songs to the next, like you were saying, you're seeing the improvements and you're doing more with them. Is the process getting quicker? Yes. So you're noticing like mm-hmm. vast improvements in how long it takes to get the right sound. And-
1: because as I've redone these songs <laughs> or <laughs> tracks in these songs, it's right. like, you know, the, the third time I did the guitar tracks, they went way smoother than the
0: first time. Right. You All know. right. Uh, thinking back five years, what is the most cringy thing you can think of from your music five years ago to now?
1: Oh, uh, let's see. So I was I was just getting into YouTube, and uh, all I had to do was like, because di- uh, I thought, okay, well, YouTubers use different camera angles. How can I do this? Mm-hmm. So I would like play a part of a song, and then try and then move my phone and then (laughs) try to sync it up and it's uh i'm pretty sure yeah it's my three wooden crosses video on youtube it's still up i I haven't like i should probably scrub my youtube channel at some point right but like it didn't it it didn't turn out nearly as cool as i thought it would
0: all right sticking on that with the whole video idea do you have videos like i have never made a video and past that video thought it was a good video Do you have videos that you show people and you're like, this is me playing music and like are legitimately proud of it? Or is it like me, if I show somebody a video of me playing music, I instantly have the urge to like start prefacing it with, well, like Sound God didn't do great and I couldn't hear and like it's not great, but like this is kind of what I do. (laughs) Oh, I hate them
1: all. Yeah. So
0: there's not one that like stands out that you're like, I did really good on this video.
1: The only ones I can think of was uh, I've got two songs that I like shot YouTube videos for them like the week I wrote them mm-hmm. and they're two of my favorites. Uh, the man God saved me from and uh, one of my personal favorites, as close as I can close as I can be. They're both on YouTube, and uh, I'm sure the singing's terrible. I'm sure the singing is like m- mediocre at best because I like didn't even know the songs yet because I had just right. written them. But like I think those two are good just because like. That was like, you know, fresh hot off the press.
0: I just know that if I have an outstanding performance, it's not on video. Like, uh-huh. no, j- like, if even if it was planned to be on video, something happened, it's not on video. if, yeah, yeah. if I do great and I'm legitimately happy, yeah, it didn't get caught. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, uh, favorite restaurant in Nashville,
1: um, El Cubalete, a little Mexican place over here by my house.
0: Nice. Is that where you got the tacos from? Oh, yeah, last (laughs) night. Nice. Um, Most overrated place in Nashville?
1: Um, Bar Taco. Hate it with all my heart. Really? Hate it. Hmm. Because, uh, okay, so the last... Never never mind. I'm not going to harp on it. The last time we went there, uh, you ordered on your phone, and you're like, if I am going to pay... $30 to eat tacos Uh I at least want to be waited on not order on your phone type in your credit card information at the table and then and then have the waitress have no idea who ordered what I'm like this is pointless
0: um it's, it's going back a while because you've been in town for a long time but what was the biggest surprise when you got to Nashville like you get to Nashville and you're like oh I didn't realize this on
1: Broadway you're you're competing against some of the world's Best musicians, and a lot of singers are very green. Mm-hmm. It's like just the 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 competition was like way harder in some ways than I thought it, and way easier because you know you ended up having a bunch of people like me who were just like, oh, I want to go play music for a living, right? And then it landed on Broadway, and you know, and uh, so like the the competition was easier in the singer field and way more intense in the musicians field than I ever
0: would have imagined. Did you have like that initial issue where like you were playing and other musicians either talked bad about you or like weren't happy with you because you were new and you were in town and like they didn't feel like you were ready to have the stage, but you had it, so they just kind of had to deal with it. Like did you have any any conflict with any of uh um, more the so established beca- musicians
1: um, more so they were just complaining that well uh, they would just complain that i didn't know any of like the big fun exciting tenor songs to sing because i have a very gotcha. deep voice yeah and i can't i physically can't sing colin baton rouge and so That's then fair. a bunch of the old times were like oh just sing get up to you know and they're all, you know and uh you know the best ones the best musicians are always the nicest people you've ever met oh absolutely but some of the ones that are very good uh they they get they've turned jaded, oh yeah, but but you know it's it's one of those things, like, and I still need to be more exciting
0: on stage or whatnot, but I mean, yeah, showmanship is a is a big part of the performance, it's yeah not it's unfortunately, it's not always all about the songs. Craziness!
1: I wish I could just write songs and I mean, record them in my bedroom and get paid to do that.
0: Technically, you could go for a publishing deal, and I could. Yeah, I don't Have know. you ever thought about that? I don't even know where to begin. I mean, it's easier to get than a record deal because a lot of artists get the pub deal way before their record deal. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, no, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if something falls like falls into my lap like that.
0: But fair enough. Well. Take a second and go ahead, and I know you've mentioned your socials and everything, but talk about your socials, talk about what you have out on Spotify, and then talk a little bit about the EP coming out and what people can expect. So uh, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, uh, at Noah Tellish
1: Music, absolutely everywhere. Uh, I've got uh, two EPs on Spotify, Uh, Spotify, all streaming services, Amazon, Apple Music, uh first one listen was the first record i i wrote when i came to town and uh the track off of that dance across the sky is absolutely gorgeous you should check it out Uh, my second ep uh place to hide is all acoustic and uh uh running reckless is one of the best songs i've ever written
0: that's a great song and
1: uh yeah it it turned out phenomenal my my personal favorite off of that right now is called make time to miss you that's also uh, a really good song yeah and uh so check those out and be sure to hit the uh hit the follow button on Spotify and Apple Music. Um I'm I'm actually just about finished with my next EP. So, that'll have another three songs on it and uh Do you
0: have a projected release date or at least time frame?
1: Like a month after I get the fiddle tracks. <laughs> <laughs> Fair
0: enough. All right. Well, I mean, thanks so much for talking with me. Absolutely. It's been a blast. Uh, I'm sure I'll have you on to do this again, and we can talk about some more music fun stuff. Sounds good. All right, man. Well, I'll holler at you later. Peace. Hey guys, thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Thank you to Noah Tellish for sitting down with me and talking. That was a whole lot of fun. It was really nice doing it in his studio. I love his studio. It looks amazing. He's done a lot of work on it. Um, if you guys want to check out any of my socials, it is all Story of Bob, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever. Just search Story of Bob and you should find it. Um, If you are enjoying the podcast, please, please, please share it with your friends. Go and rate the podcast. Do all the things. Um, It's growing at a much faster rate than I had expected, and I'm having so much fun with it. So just let's keep pushing this along and see where we can get it. Um, If you have any questions or if you have any comments, feel free to reach out to me. I would love to hear from you um yeah just thank you guys so much for listening i've really enjoyed doing it and i'm getting a lot of positive feedback so i think you guys are enjoying it so i'd love to hear more from you and i'd love for you guys to help be a part of this and share it so i guess as always it's never too late to tip your bartender and please don't forget to tip your band